All right, what's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott, if part of the Church of Your Head podcast, and this is my good friend, Brandon. Yes, hello. Hello. We are continuing on from our last show where we were kind of getting into false teachers, um, wolves in sheep's clothing, and the idea around how do we actually know what they look like. Um, we recognize it's in Scripture, and I'm sure as we were even young, we were told that there's, you know, people to stay away from, you know, pastors, some of the more well-known ones that aren't good, you know, but as you get more mature, you start to think about, okay, you know, what does a wolf actually look like and what would they not want me to do? And, and I think, you know, as we'll kind of get into it right now, it very much feels like it's the wolf in my head versus the wolf in your head. So everyone it recognizes there's this idea of there's bad people out there that are twisting scripture, stay away from them. And then they end that sentence. And you walk away and say, yes, I'm going to stay away from them. And you start to think, what do they look like? Stay away from who? Who's the them, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is the the private interpretation of uh, somebody who's like, okay, well, these are my verses and this is what's, you know, sound in my head. And then they'll say, okay, well, if, if anybody who contradicts my, you know, what I think is sound or quote unquote biblical, well, they're the wolves. Right. So so we're kind of constantly just being kind of, you know, depending on who you're talking to, this person's a wolf. And depending on, you know, you talk to somebody else. Well, no, actually, maybe that person's the wolf who, you're, who we've been talking to. Um, so I think that's the problem with, uh, you know, when you have a paradigm that is simply just, uh, you know, the church in your head paradigm uh, you know, per se, where, you know, you look at the scriptures, you decide what's true. Then you, you know, find some uh, maybe church fathers, sprinkle in a council or two, sprinkle in, you know, uh, a scholar here. And now you have your church and then it's like, OK, well, anybody who goes against my church in my head is now a wolf. But the problem is, is that it just it just doesn't work. We cannot no. objectively know. In the end of the day, it's just your truth. It's my truth. And that's why when you have the correct paradigm, we can look together and go, well, actually, objectively that is a wolf. We can say for sure, objectively, when we don't have the church in our head, when we look to the church that Christ establishes through the apostles, through the laying on of hands, they established bishops, and they guarded the truth. They called out the heretics who were trying to uh, seep in various heresies to uh, you know, misrepresent God or construe human nature, uh, construe Christology. Um, and so those bishops got together through those ecumenical councils and they they weeded out those out. And those bishops continued to guard the deposit of faith for us. And so yeah. when we quit looking inward and we look outside of ourselves, then we can start seeing objectively like, huh, the Mormon came to my door and they were very sincere and they, they're very nice people. And they told me about Jesus, how he was a created being and and all that. And it just seems so like, right. But then, well, wait a minute. What, what if we go to the ecumenical council of Nicaea, where Arius tried to present Jesus as a created being, and they pronounced that as heresy. So now we look, it's like, oh, wait a minute. The wolves just came to my door. The wolves in sheep's clothing that Satan will, his ministers will come as angels of light. So that's an example, right? So now we know we're like, whoa, I just saw a wolf at my door. That's, hmm. that's crazy. But it's like, but it, but it's not just in like, oh, well, what about, what about so-and-so who's a Christian who believes in the Trinity, who rejects Arianism. And he has these verses 
And he tells me that, oh, the councils were glorified Bible studies. And he seems to teach something that's just kind of off and it doesn't really make sense. Well, that's something to look into. Now, we you don't look and just see, okay, it, you don't just accept. It's just clear in scripture, right? You, you go now and say, well, let's look at the ecumenical councils and let's see if that person's open to looking at the ecumenical councils to see if they're truly preaching truth and sound doctrine. And I think that's what's hard though, right? It's like getting that, actually bringing that up and saying, you know, I get what you're saying is biblical, quote unquote biblical you're saying, but can we go to the ecumenical councils? Yeah. And that's, you know, that conversation might be a little bit difficult, even for some that might be listening to this that are going to churches, you know, that requires them to potentially go and have a a meeting with their pastor. And we've, we've seen this happen where they, they approach the pastor or approach the person they're kind of concerned of and they bring them, bring that up. I think the problem is not many are educated or even understand the idea of, you know, objective um, church outside of them that having this, this mindset where there was an established oneness, unified, cohesive church. You know, we say the undivided church in the first thousand years. And to be clear, I mean, when we say undivided, certainly there are sects there, even in, in scripture, you see that. But what we're talking about is there's this continuation, this continuity of this, the sound doctrine being handed down. That's why we constantly talk about laying of hands. And, and as Paul you know, lays hands to Timothy and then tells him to do the same, you know, he's telling him to guard the keys, guard the truth. And so don't just lay hands hastily, you know, doing it quickly because this person's really excited and is passionate about, you know, Jesus and wants to start a church. That's what we see now. And I, I think as we get into this, we're going to start to see that those people that are passionate, that aren't a part of this succession, and some of it is not even, you know, I don't say they're a, they're willingly trying to walk away from that succession. I think their their hearts are genuine and they want to preach the Bible. But, you know, my question I always had was like, what are some of the implications or what would I need to look out for um, if I'm in a church and I'm not sure? Because here's the thing that I think could be a little bit difficult. The What you just explained is more theological in nature. So we can go and look at some of the Christological heresies or the Trinitarian heresies and believe, okay, yeah, this church, they just believe that there's just one God. There's no Trinity. A little bit easier. But what about the ones that do claim we believe in the Trinity? You go to their website, their statement of faith, and they have all the right language. What would one need to look out for? Um, or what are some of the evidences or, or fruit or lack thereof? of what you might be told. And there's three things we're going to get into first John um, that one might need to look out for. That would be a good indication that, okay, this is uh, harmful for me. Almost like, you know, someone taking you away from taking a remedy that they know you would benefit from. They don't want you to have that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with churches that, you know, they have the, the general core doctrine statements of, you know, we believe in the Trinity and, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think uh, most of them, I believe, are ignorant. I don't think they're formal heretics. You know, formal heretics are when you're confronted with the truth outside of you and, and you, say you no, reject that, you, you say away. no. Yeah, yeah, you kind of become an official heretic. I mean, uh, material heretics, we covered on the last episode where I would say a lot of evangelical pastors uh, are very uh, sincere and they really want to help their congregation. Uh, and a lot of them, they just don't know. They've been they, they've been brought up in the bubble, uh, their theological bubble, and they've been convinced that uh, you know the arguments of just this is clear in scripture, uh, you know this is biblical. Um, that 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 paradigm has just not been questioned, and I think that's the part where for us to reach them, for us to see that hey, you know what, you're you're missing something vital 
And we want to help you see that, but, but it's the paradigm that you're looking through. This paradigm is essentially like nobody knows what's actually bad for them. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, they might give you some good stuff and somebody might be like, man, that was really good. And then they kind of move on to maybe a different uh, fad doctrine or, or whatever they're going to preach now. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that the ingredients are not objectively able to really be identified of what you really need. So everything just becomes, well, this is we just see this clear in Scripture. We don't see this in Scripture. And that's pretty much the uh, the, the the acid test for them. And what yeah. they don't realize is that that's just a subjective, anybody can make that truth claim. Like there's no objectivity in this. There's like you, nobody can go up to somebody and say, Hey, this is objectively hurting you. See, this is, this is hurting you. This, you don't have this. So now, because you're, you don't have this, or you don't have this as part of um, your church, this is hurting you. Well, so we'll I think, think and, and that's the problem. <laughs> With uh, the three, I guess, pillars, uh, let's treat like the less of the flesh, the less of the eyes and the pride of life as almost like a type of cancer. You know, Mm -hmm. we recognize that those three things are going to be damning to your soul uh, because as we know, the less of the eyes, if you continue down that path and allow your eyes to continue to consume um, the things of this world and then the pride of life, all of that is leading to your own destruction. I mean, that's why it says they push the scriptures to their destruction and those that they are preaching or those who sit under subject themselves to are also going to fall into that trap. And so if we look at these things as like a type of cancer, we have to then see, okay, there has to be remedies for these things because scripture is telling us these things are, 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 are a warning um, or else they won't just be emphasized uh, to the extent that they are in first John. So then we have to think, okay, what are these remedies? What are these things that can cause us to heal? And I, I, before we answer that, I do want to make a quick note that, you know, and I think you would agree with this, Brandon, when we say evangelical pastors are genuine, uh, they're, they're, I guess, ignorant, um, it's good to know that and remind people that we don't want anyone to, to hear this. And there's this like, aha, like light click. And then you go on and you start slashing, you know, the pastors and, and calling them heretics or false teachers or wolves. And like, I got you. Cause I think society loves the gotcha moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there, there is a temptation to do that going back to just, okay, let me just start with questions, you know, cause you know, sometimes the ignorance is just a matter of, of, of seeing things, and it starts with questioning things in a very loving manner where it doesn't feel accusatory, attacking. It's just, hey, have you thought about this? Or I was reading this and, and I'm, you just start to use logic. And that certainly kind of helps build this conversation where there's there's a lot more transparency. And, and I guess the foundation becomes a bit more loving and, and soft instead of harsh and, and, and walled up or scaffolded up um, to where the pastor is immediately going to you know just reject anything that you are doing. So do this lightly. I say this with experience. Don't go in harsh. Uh, I'm sure you can say yeah. the same. You got to do this lovingly. But back to the less of the eyes, pride of life, and the less of the flesh. If I say these three things are cancerous, how, what would be the remedies that one needs to look for? And then I think we can link that to, okay, a false teacher is not going to want you to see those remedies. They're going to want you to do things that are the opposite of that. And those things that are the opposite might actually be in the short term, more appealing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that when you twist scripture to your own destruction, which, you know, we've talked about this before. Like I used to think that twisting scripture to your own destruction was like, I I interpret the scripture wrong and then God strikes me down or God's wrath is going to be over me. Uh, But when I started understanding the church as more of a, of a hospital, right? It's like when you twist the scriptures, uh, you basically uh, leave one of these things or multiple uh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, you don't put them in check. 
you know, so that's the problem is when when Satan comes to deceive and he says, oh, look at this, look at that's clear in scripture. His goal is to is to get these unleashed in you. You know, get these unleashed. We, we talk about, uh, you know, I'm just going to break into it, right? Let's talk about, you know, the Eucharist, right? Churches that don't have the Eucharist, where Christ is deifying our human nature, they're stuck in moralism. You get, uh, you know, there's some some singing, which isn't bad. There's, a, you know, a, a sermon, a 45-minute sermon maybe, and then there's some more singing, you go home. So so what is it? What is it teaching? It's it's teaching moralism. Now you you just, okay, now you try to try to follow Jesus the best you can. But that's the problem. That's not uh, the, the, the point of the divine service, the divine liturgy, uh, the, you know, so that's, that's just one aspect of it where when you are moved away from the church that Christ established outside of you, you start following a deformed Christianity that sadly some interpret it as that is this Christianity. And then they just leave it because they're done. They're done with the moralism. They're done with it. They, they've been, they've been sold that this is, this is what Christianity is. And they couldn't do it. They're like, yeah, I couldn't do it. I tried it. It, it didn't work. And yeah. so I think that's what's sad, right? Because the pride of life, the, the private interpretation and pride, that's what's really sad is that the church's, uh, you know, life, the, the divine liturgy. I mean, you go to a divine service, divine liturgy, you're going to, you, first, you're going to have people different. confessing their sins. Yeah. You're, it's not going to be everybody, you know, singing, singing songs and, you know, getting all excited. A lot of it's, it's yeah, you might sing a hymn, but then you're going to, you're going to be led into let's confess our sins. And like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're going to confess our sins, all of us. But I'm used to kind of pretending that I have it all together. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not Christianity. We're all going to confess our sins now because we've blew it this week. And it's like, that's, that's, huge. that's humility, right? So there's the remedy. There's the first remedy that comes to you. It's like, okay, now let's, let's take your pride out. Okay. Let's, let's, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, let's start with humility. Okay. Because your pride will destroy you. If you continue to try to, to, to hide your sins, you know, he, he what does it say in Proverbs? He who conceals his sins will not prosper, but he who forsakes them will find mercy. We need to start with that remedy, right? We're going to go with that, right? And then the priest is going to start leading you into more and more healing, right? We're going to ultimately going to end with the Eucharist, right? We're going to, we're not going to end in moralism. Try to be good. No, you need to have the body and blood of the God man to deify your human nature so you can do the works of God. See, that's the crazy thing about it. It's like Christianity of all the other religions, right? Christianity is about you being deified. You eat the flesh of the God man and you're deified to do the works of God. All others are just like, they look at the rule board and they're like, okay, I better not do that. Uh, make sure I do this. Okay, I got to do all these things. Do, 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 do. And then, oh, okay, make sure I don't do. And, and see, that's that's the thing about it. Moralism, you get burnt out on. Yeah. So I know, Scott, yeah. if you want to comment well, on that, I kind of, you know, went a little burning, bit. But. That was good. That was good. That's a good first remedy is, is humility. I think that the, the kind of going into some of the other things that um, may not get emphasized or might get twisted a bit is let's talk about fasting. That's another good one. Because mm -hmm. a lot of this is is when it comes to fasting, it, one, it's not easy. Um, but two, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you're wanting to curb the, the less curb, the temptations or the, or what we'd say, the passions that get ignited. And that comes by the world. You know, it's like, if you're driving a car and, and you're going down the road and there's a billboard and something is very enticing. And then you look over and before you know it, you're off the road and then you've hit a sign, you know, it's, it's not mm -hmm. the car's fault for, for running off the road, right? Uh, you're the mm -hmm. one who has the decision to look now those billboards in this analogy, are what entice you, lure you, 
draw you to to find this kind of a I don't know a little bit of a joy to to explore more on what it's saying or even just what it's showing me, and all the while it's it's curbing you away from being grounded and and looking to Christ. You know, heading on this narrow rocky path that is very difficult. It's not easy. Christianity is never meant to be easy. I would I would put a quick note that any Christian pastor that talks about how the Christian life ought to be the the easier life, you know is is completely false i mean we would never say that for marriage all you gotta do is do these three things and your marriage will be perfect nobody would sign up for that because that's yeah. not what marriage is you know marriage is difficult you want to fight but you know i'll go off on the tangent but I, fasting is a huge huge i guess way to curb that as and treat fasting as a remedy um i think another podcast would be good if we broke this down a little bit more brandon but you know just mm-hmm. on the surface of all for those that just have, have heard of it they know fasting is there you know, Jesus says when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast. And then he talks about, you know, don't don't fast like these people. And he references the Pharisees over there, you know, how they walk around and they expose themselves and they're, they're loud and want people to see them. But mm-hmm. fasting is just a, a form of, of, I guess, an extension of humility, but more of, of being able to put your body into a state of almost death or the, the hunger is is wanting to be satisfied. And, you know, you're you're pushing away that that desire because those desires themselves are good. You know, being hungry is good. But you're you're pushing away that that desire to, or to fulfill that desire and and re, re, relaying it towards you know prayer and, and reading your scriptures to help you grow and so when the times of temptation come um, you'll be able to withstand it better. I'm not gonna say it's gonna always work. You're you're gonna fall into it at times, but the, I notice that the church doesn't emphasize fasting anymore. And I you know as I've learned and, and kind of done that more and we've talked about this. You've done it more. You see the fruits in doing that and churches and pastors that don't emphasize that anymore about fasting in a way where it's, it's a remedy. It's, it's there to, to curb the lust as opposed to it's there to have you receive something from God. So it becomes like this, this uh, contingent deal where as soon as I fast, you know, I write down a piece of paper, what I want. And then hopefully when I'm done fasting, somehow it magically appears, uh, that's yeah. not going to happen. Um, so I think fasting is a big one. I, I think that's a, a huge part of, um, you know, when I think about what would a false teacher not want me to do, they wouldn't want you to confess, right? Like you were just saying, go to, and receive the, we call it absolution or receive forgiveness, which is huge. Receiving forgiveness and, and corporately, it's great. I think standing up next to the people around you, whether you know them or not, there's something about as we all confess our sins together and we all receive forgiveness, including the pastor himself, because he's just a, a, a vicar of Christ. He's just a representative saying, I forgive you. When he says, I, he's I on behalf of Christ. There's something also about even the private side of confessing your sins to your priest, pastor, you know, whomever. Receiving that forgiveness is healing to the soul. These are things that false teachers don't want you to experience or to receive. That's the thing. They don't want you to do that. They want you to just kind of I'll just quickly pray to God, I'm sorry, and then keep going. And, and well, all you're doing is managing your sin. Those that are listening, they, they probably are, are what's coming into mind are those sins, the things that are, are burdening them, them and, and can you say that bur- are burdensome and, mm-hmm. and have caused guilt. And they go to church where there, there is not that healing that we are talking about. There's this desire now as they hear, hopefully, that, you know, I want to be forgiven. I, I know I'm forgiven, but it's hard for me to, to tell myself that. And so objectively having someone representative of Christ tell you that is, is completely healing. And then, you know, fasting also helps curb that. Um, there's plenty of other things, but you know, I'm going on a tangent, but I think it, it's important to realize that false teachers just don't want you to do the things that are going to heal your soul and curb the less curb, the passions. They're going to want to make it about you. 
it's kind of youism, you know, things that would lead you to the pride of life, right? Or the less the flesh, all the things that are appealing to the Christian, um, which is why some of these churches are quite popular. Um, and it, that's what yeah. sucks. You're, you're going against popularity versus, you know, the, the liturgical churches aren't popular. You know, they're, they're the, the kids that sit on their own table uh, at the lunchroom. Um, you know, they're not at the popular table. And that's that's what makes it harder. And so I think hopefully we can explain that the kid at that table is actually eating food that's good for him, you know, and it's going to make him stronger and, and more, you know, I guess intelligent and, and whatnot. While the, the cool kids are just not even eating. They're just hanging out at the table, but starving all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think the temptation for all of us is to find teachers that will preach doctrines that cater to these lusts, cater to our pride. And and that's that's the danger of going to teachers that are outside of the church that Christ established. You know, Christ has his bishops, you know, still out there, faithful bishops, uh, you know, who oversees the priests, you know, who make sure that they're uh, in check to, to not be preaching any heresies and to lead their congregation into denial of self. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and deny yourself. And that is not popular. It is not popular to fast. And I, and that what's sad is that teachers of false teachers can, you know, make it sound like, oh, you don't have to fast. Um, you know, you can maybe fast TV or fast this, but it's like, no, I mean, real fasting is denying ourself nourishment for a time, you know, food for a time. And, uh, and, and I think that's the, the sad part is like they, they want us to avoid denying self and they, they kind of have an excuse that we can just accept. And, like, oh, yeah, that's maybe fasting. That's kind of legalistic or oh, you don't want to work salvation. You know, that a type of asceticism, you know, can make you like you're earning your salvation. So it can be all these type of, of lies that steer us away from being healed. And sadly, yeah. it keeps those lusts uh, to run free. You know what I mean? There's, there's different, I mean, the, the remedy, like you said, of fasting is so beneficial. And what's sad is that what, what I see in a lot of churches today that kind of steer clear of it or don't really mention it is that, you know, everybody's directed to books, right? Everybody's got to, here's the right book to get that lust of your flesh in check. You know, there's different lusts of the flesh, right? You know, you know, gluttony, you know, you can abuse food, you know, you know, evil sexual desires, you know, I mean, sex is a good desire, but it can be twisted and you can be led into addictions, um, and how do we get those in check? Cause there's so many, even pastors, even that, that's what I think that's so sad, right? Even pastors, they say there's a percentage of pastors who are addicted to pornography and you, you just, it's just sad because if they knew about the remedy that the church outside of, you know, their sect, they would know like, oh, wow, I, if I just had, if I would be regularly doing this, then I could get myself under, I could keep my flesh under control. I could, I, well, really it's, it's having the virtue of self-control, yeah. you're building that up so you can basically make sure that that's in check. Um, and so, yeah, it can always be taught, you know, in a wrong way too, right? Like you said, it can be less like, well, I fasted God, so you got to give me this. But that's what's sad is like, no, you fast because you need to fast. It's like, you got to keep this in, in, in the lust of the flesh in check or it will destroy you. And the idea of the, you know, the going back to the twisting of the scriptures to your own destruction, that's what it is. The scriptures are being twisted so that you don't put these in check. Yeah. And it's and, and that will ultimately destroy you in the end. It's not that God's, oh, now you've made God so mad and he's coming after you. It's like, no, you're you're destroying yourself. And it's like when we come to you and we're saying, hey, look, this is hurting you. And this is what's sad, right? When when you try to make an objective claim, 
that somebody's hurting you. And when they're in that paradigm of, well, you can't know for sure, right? You might, you might hear that or, or it's like, no, I have my scriptures and my scriptures say that this is right. Right. So that's, what's hard because when you come to them and you're like, Hey, you're trying to plead with them. It's good to try to bring up the paradigm they're in because the paradigm they're in, if they can realize that, look, anybody can make a truth claim. The Mormon can make the same truth claim as you. He can use Bible verses. And, and that's the, that's what's hard. Is, and that's the pride, right? The pride that says, I don't want to give up what I've built, you know, in right. my organization. Like the pride is there. And you pray and you hope that whoever you're talking to, you should be praying for them. You it's should be like fasting and praying for them. Yeah, it becomes like a business mindset at that point. The, these pastors are they're almost like an organization where they've done well. I mean, many of these pastors would be very successful in the business world when you think about it. Um, oh, yeah. They have a lot of these similar marketing strategies and, and creating products and brands that are, are appealing to the mass audience and people you know, subscribe and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, another very practical one is, you know, those pastors that re- I mean, I had a conversation with a gentleman a few weeks ago, and he just kind of on his own recognizes. But I remember him telling me that the pastor uh, really wasn't even talking about like repentance or Jesus. It felt a bit more about like just kind of living a, a good life. Um, and there would be scriptures used. And we want to emphasize. And again, when we say false teachers in the evangelical world, we're not saying they're they're willingly doing this. For the most part, they're just ignorant. But nonetheless, they are going to use a ton of scripture. It's not like it's going to be completely obvious, but the, the idea of someone, you know, kind of proclaiming a, a message around or centered around you and what you can do to, to kind of be this better version of you, which is kind of this more of a self-help kind of approach. And that's a very common one. We see that all throughout the bookshelves of, of the Christian, um, you know, famous book writers and New York Times bestsellers and churches do the same. These, these pastors realize, OK, that's a, that's what sells. And this all comes back to pride. Because they recognize mm-hmm. if I'm going to preach repentance and I'm going to preach forgiveness of sins, and when you come in, if I'm going to treat this church like a hospital, I may not get that many people. So it's much easier to get people to, to leave that sound doctrine, to get their ears itched. And so as they scratch and scratch away on that itch, these people are sitting there and in the moment they feel good. They walk out kind of energized because, I mean, I, I'd imagine when people leave these like conferences for like Tony Robbins, they're probably pumped and ready to go buy a bunch of houses and resell them for a mega amount of profit. <laughs> And I think these people do that. But what happens ultimately that subsides because the Satan and, and the demons that are around are, are kind of clapping like, yes, watch what happens when Wednesday hits. Then all of a sudden the, the, the lust of the, the flesh and the, the pride and all that starts to seep in and you don't really know how to curb it. And, and you're kind of stuck in this like moralistic living where you start to feel failure because, you know, OK, what I just did or what I'm about to do um, is, is I know it's dangerous for me. And, and you just don't necessarily have, the, I guess, the, the, the medicine to be able to, to be healed of that if you did do it or to have a, a preventative measure in which you can start doing things to help curb it and help resist it a little bit better. Again, you're not going to be perfect. You are going to fall into sin. We are fallen, you know, sinful people, but we, we have the ability to get stronger. You know, I think a good way we can kind of explain that, Brandon, is that we, we talk about the gym analogy a lot. I liked how what you said. Um, about, you know, see, treating the gym um, as like the church and, and lifting and whatnot. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. And I think that's the part where when we see the church and the church has always taught salvation as in synergy, right? Synergy as not 
uh, Mormon synergy. I'm not talking about do everything as much as you can and then God will help you. Or 50% us, 50% God. No, it's 100% us, 100% God. Uh, So the idea of when we go into the gym and when we are, you know, essentially the gym analogy, we're baptized into the church. Uh, You know, God gives us his spirit and it's not just a, okay, you know, you're one and done. You're good. You know, just uh, make sure you continue to believe that Jesus died for your sins. And it's, it's all, it's all Jesus. Well, um, you know, that can be good, but at the same time, when that's used in a teaching in a way where your mode of willing is not active in your salvation, this is where these remedies become null and void because to confess your sins, you have to choose. Your mode of willing has to choose, right? So if you want to grow in humility, you have to choose. You, the person, have to choose. You want to grow in virtue. Now, going back to the gym analogy, the idea of growing in muscles, well, just like if I if I want to build big biceps, I got to go to the gym. I can't just, you know, scan my ticket in there and my little card and just go sit in the gym and be like, man, I'm going to be building some muscles here, man. This is great. I'm in. I'm in. I mean, I'm in the gym. I, I, I scan my card. I'm good to go. They told me, yeah, this is, you know, this, you're, you're going to be good. They told no, me no, I no. have muscles. They, they told me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's almost like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, you know, like, like if you go, if, if it'd be like, if you go into the gym, you know, you get, you get a gold's gym membership and all of a sudden you just got all of Arnold's muscles and you're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. It's like, you know, it's like some, you know, uh, churches will teach, you know, that, oh, well, it's just, you know, do you already have Jesus righteousness? You're good to go. And the way that's taught is that people will be like, oh, well, cool. They're just sitting in the gym like, I got, I got Arnold's muscles. I got them. They're all, they're all, it's great. But the problem is the church, it, it, when you look back at the church, the church didn't teach that. The church taught that we would truly participate in the life of the Trinity, doing the good works of God. But that doesn't uh, exclude our will. So our mode of willing is really active in our salvation, not earning it. No, it's a participation. You get to participate to do the works of God. Yeah, yeah, you get to you get to cooperate and as you choose to fast, you know, you you start to build that virtue through the grace of God. Everything's through the grace of God. Are you are you are you know, why do you get to fast? Well, because God brought you into his kingdom through baptism. He delivered you from the kingdom of Satan. Because in the end of the day, we are here participating with the devil and this world and we're twisting ourselves into more and more corruption. And 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 we're we're progressing in evil more and more, or we're progressing and cooperating with the Spirit of God, and we're progressing into greater virtue and righteousness. And some people out there might just be like, "Oh, that's works-based righteousness." It actually isn't. If it's a hundred percent you and a hundred percent God, in the end of the day, God gets all the glory. If right. God is the one who's led me to the church, who says you can participate here. This is where you can be set free from sin. This is where you can grow in virtue and grow in love for your neighbor. It's right here. But it's not just a, okay, I'm in the church. I'm good to go. No, you got to participate in the liturgy. That's the other thing too. It's like, it's not just sitting there listening to the songs. You choose to sing the songs. You choose to confess your sins. We choose to go up there and, and, and receive the Eucharist, Christ's body and blood. You, it's like, and that's the part. And every day we choose to pray. Or we choose to be prideful. That's the thing about it. It's really that kind of, you know, like I tell my son, I'm like, you can't be on two. There's no neutral ground, son. You're cooperating with God or you're cooperating with the devil. And the world is constantly out there trying to, uh, you know, uh, energize your passions into evil lusts and make it all about you. And the church invites you every day to deny yourself 
and they give you the means to do that. They give you the means to deny self and grow in virtue. But that takes our participation. It's not just a one and done, I'm baptized. Oh, I'm part of the church. I scanned in my, my card. No, we got the opportunity every day to choose to pray. I mean, the church leads us into morning and evening prayer. And there's noon prayer too, because guess what? You easily want to make everything about you. And so do I. I easily want to make this podcast about me and, and, and glorify me. But what do, how do I keep that in check? I, I got to pray. I got to pray. How do I keep the flesh in check? I, I got to fast. That's the thing. There's, there's, a, there's an urgency because we want to love our neighbor. All of us would agree. This is the thing we would all agree on as Christians. We all want to love our neighbors and our families and our, our uh, friends the best that we can. But the, this, is the, this is the thing we're presenting in this podcast. How do we objectively do that? How do we move away from the false teachers and the wolves so we can objectively love our neighbors better? Yeah. And this is it. This is it. Once we let go of false teachings that basically put us into the, this mindset of, oh, I just, I got my, you know, I scanned in my card at the gym, I'm good. And we start seeing that Christianity is a dynamic, not a static, passionate relationship participation in the Holy Trinity where Christ invites us to do the works of God. And he says that in John, where he says, it's like, you will do greater works than these. I mean, you get to do the works of God. Right. That's and, good. But, but here's the thing, but you have to prepare yourself. Every day I have to prepare myself. And, and, and the, the, the demons and, and, and the devils, they're always trying to make it all about you. So it's like, well, why do I need to get up in the morning? Morning prayer and evening prayer. That sounds like legalism. No. Think about it like a vitamin. Like, or if you have maybe, maybe you have a condition out there. And it's like if, if the doctor says, hey, you should take this to make sure you keep that in check. And you go, Phew. That just sounds like I have to, like, like I have to work or something to, to, to make sure my health is in check. No, the doctor is giving you the remedy. He's saying, this is what you need to do. You have to choose to take that pill or, or whatever it is. Maybe take a supplement, take this, take this herb or, or whatever. You have to choose though. It's not just a, oh, well, you know, I went to the doctor. No, you, there's, a, there's an active part of, of our wills that that we participate in and Christ deifies our human nature. He deifies our human, our will, um, just like he did in the incarnation. When he assumed our human nature, he deified his human will. And that's the great thing. We are participating in the life of the Trinity. This is not a uh, rules-based religion where it's like, okay, I'm a Christian now. Okay. Uh, I better just we'll say, well, I can do some singing. Uh, that, that kind of felt good. Okay, cool. And then I, I got the 40 minute sermon that kind of was inspiring. Okay. Yeah, I know I'm a Christian. I should just, I should make sure I'm, I'm doing good. No, no. Christianity is about doing the works of God and through deification, you need to be deified. And if you don't go to a church that's giving you the Eucharist, I would say find one ASAP because moralism is not going to help you. The church no. has the remedy for you to thrive in your relationship with God. It has the sound doctrine to keep you thriving and the false teachings are going to just hinder you and possibly steer you away from Christianity altogether. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good kind of closing statement. It's just that the, the church provides and prescribes you the remedy. So going to a church um, and, and sitting under someone who is prescribing this these types of remedies, and, and those that are in a church that are starting to recognize, no, these aren't being prescribed, we're just simply saying, like, go find one then. Or, you know, I should take that back. Um, talk to your pastor. Um we, we also, we said this in the last podcast, this isn't a matter of we want mass exodus from the evangelical church. We'd love to see these types of churches, especially these non-denom ones that aren't affiliated with any 
you know, a historical church with no confessions at all. They're just their own, like, you know, their own church. Um, I think that's, that's a chance for you to be able to just sit down again, ask questions in love, pre- present these remedies after you've gotten a chance to kind of, you know, try it out too. That's an also, I think, uh, something that would be very advantageous for anybody hearing this is try out these three remedies. We, we didn't really get into almsgiving, but, you know, giving obviously a wonderful way to, to curb and to humble yourself, um, giving your first fruits, you know, not doing it in a way again, where you're expecting something from God, you know, it's giving cause it's, it's a formal remedy. You know, if we were to go to the doctor's office and never be prescribed anything and the doctor is solely just wanting us to stay there and continually keep coming back every week because his, his office has all these cool gadgets and things to play with and even brings in some good cafeteria food, makes you feel good and you leave. If you know that there's a particular remedy that's going to help you uh, and you find that out, it might be too late. And, you know, if you're using that analogy, there, there's ultimately consequences for not taking those supplements if, if you were supposed to be taking that on a regular basis. We're saying the same thing. You might get away with going to the doctor's office or going to that type of church without receiving these prescriptions. But eventually it, there will become that point where you will feel so much more sick from the temptations and the sin and the guilt and the, and the just the, the anguish that it's caused you. And, and the demons and, and Satan himself is it's disguising themselves as angels of light and, and going around trying to destroy your souls as wolves going and devouring the flock. And at that point, that's where we start to see people just walk away from the church altogether. And I would almost look back and if we were to like, diagnose this, we would say, well, what were they prescribing you? Tell me the remedies that you were, were you taking X, Y, and Z, you know, praying, fasting, um, receiving the Eucharist, confessing, you know, the things we just talked about. The answer is really no. That's, that's step one. Let's go bring you to a formal hospital with good doctors who actually care about you and have the right supplements or the right medication, you know, analogous to the right keys, the right sound doctrine that's going to benefit you as opposed to have you wander and, and live this moralistic life that ultimately is going to lead to failure and then inevitably lead to the damnation of your soul because the whole idea behind false teachers is they want you to walk away from the very remedies and fruit that Christ offers us, the free gift of grace. And it should give us this like sound, I guess, um, what's the word? It, it should feel good um, to know that false teaching isn't a scary thing when you see them with the, we, we laid out the remedies pretty simplistic, I think, Brandon, right? <clears throat> I don't think it was anything yeah. that was like, wow, that was hard to like wrap my head around. Like, it's really that simple. That's the beauty of it. I think the false teachers and, and the, the modern day church that's walked away from sound doctrine, they want to make it more complex and, or maybe they think it's too complex. So they simplify it whereby they just make it about you and appeal to you and make you feel good. So they, they abstract all of these remedies through confession, absolution and, and going in and, and preaching on and fasting in a way that it's supposed to be preached about. Um, and they just want it to be about, you know, keeping you in the church and, and treating it as like a business. Um, I think these are things that we can really look at and, and confidently um, you know, recognize. And, and we hope and pray that those folks that go um, and have these conversations, whether it's a pastor or some you know leader in the church, that th- there would be a loving um, Holy Spirit guided conversation and, and using you know the objective truths that God has given us, you know, with scripture, but ultimately with the church and through the church. You know, we say this a lot that the church is the pillar and ground of all truth. Um, yeah. not the text of the Bible is the pillar ground of all truth, not the pastor is a pillar ground of all truth. Um, it is the church, the collective unified, um, the conciliar mind of the church that gives us all these remedies. And, uh, hopefully people are, are encouraged by that. Um, and then, you know, try it out for yourself. Right. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, I know we didn't uh, cover giving. I know, but in in the end of the day, the church puts giving in its proper place as to you know to curb the lust of the eyes, and I think that's the part where when we see giving as a participation aspect of it, not just a you know I have to give um, or you know this you know however it can be you know construed as you know I know somebody in my family who's against the church because. Uh, pretty much, I would say a, a false teacher, you know, portrayed the church as it was all about money. But yeah. giving really is a remedy to keep our lust of the eyes in check. That the first person, first thing we think about when we get money is not just self, but it's, you know, also thinking about others around us who, who are less fortunate. Obviously, you know, t- making a portion of that to the church that we go to. But really, it's not begrudging if we're getting the remedies. Like when you're giving in the church that's giving you the remedies to succeed. And, and thrive in your Christian life, you're excited to give because you're excited to be part of the church that you know Christ established. You're not just giving the money to the church in some guy's head who needs to build his own kingdom, you know, who needs to, you know, for his own pride. It's like, you know, that this is the church Christ established objectively. So yeah. I think I just wanted to, to highlight that one last point. We can break into it, uh, you know, in another podcast. But yeah, I think we should. I mean, yeah. you know, lifting is is fun when you start to see the results. You know, not exactly. Make, yeah, yeah. Not, you start hitting the gym. It's not up. easy. Yeah. It's not easy doing squats or any of those things. But I mean, going to the analogy, you can't just sit there and expect to get all the muscles just granted to you. You know, there is a synergy, and there's there's the hard work of having to lift up the weight. Um, but that's where we have the Holy Spirit that helps helps you with the lifting of this. It's not just all you. That's the beauty of this. The beauty of the 100% God, 100% you is a wonderful way of saying I can build virtue. I can actually do things that can better myself in terms of, of this journey in the rugged path to salvation, knowing that Christ is holding my hand the entire time. Um, and it's just, it's hopefully brings a lot of people comfort. Um, we appreciate y'all listening to us. Uh, we will have many, many more to come. Uh, and I will have on the links below our Twitter. Um, Feel free to message us. We want to be more engaging too. So we would love for people to provide feedback and tell us where, where we might be wrong. Um, you know, humility says I'm willing to be wrong uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to we, we know it all. We don't. Um, and this is going much longer than some of our other shows. But hopefully you enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, uh, we will uh, we'll see you when we see you. Yep. Thank you.